You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Revelation was given to man through Jesus Christ. The final revelation of God was given to man through Jesus Christ. In other words, all you need to know about God, we can know about Him through Jesus Christ. The revelation of God up until the time of Christ was misunderstood. It was a mystery. It was a mystery that seemed to be hidden. Remember, Old Testament, Christ concealed, New Testament, Christ revealed. So it was a mystery, it was hidden. Jesus is the revelation of God. If you want to get to know God, all you have to do is study the character of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Jesus said, If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Today, Pastor Dave will be encouraging you to spend time getting to know the nature and character of God daily. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Sovereign Servant, Part 3. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 12. So when he, Jesus, had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am so, uh, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you do these things, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I want to take a moment and begin in yet another verse in the Bible, and that is, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. I'll read it to you. The writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, said these words in opening to this book. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an inheritance obtained by more excellent name than they. So the acknowledgement here by the writer again, I believe it's Apostle Paul, that God has spoken. God has declared his word to man in different ways, in different times. He has spoken about that. And in the Old Testament, we have for us a record of the times that God has spoken. There's no prophets in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God spoke by angels, messengers, which is basically the root word for angels. 
So God spoke the man through these messengers that he would send. And then as he went on, he began to speak to men by appointed or anointing other men. Moses, Joshua. These were men of God who he anointed to pass on his word. In fact, the very Ten Commandments were given to Moses to carry down to his people and discuss it with them and show them the commands of God. God also spoke to Joshua as Joshua was leading Israel into the promised land. And then God spoke to them through the priests. They would wonder about the will of God and they would come to the priest and he would go to the Urim and the Thummim and he would make a decision there. And it's not the time to talk about those two articles. You can look them up for yourselves and see what they mean. But they were a way of determining God's will. And then as time progressed, God ordained prophets. He called prophets to his own, and they spoke to the people. So we have the Old Testament where God spoke to people in various times in various ways. And sometimes God spoke to his people in extremely interesting ways. I would love to see the look on Baal's face when the donkey spoke to him. Just like the look on your face when a donkey is speaking now, right? Okay. So God has spoken. God has spoken. We have his word. But God's final revelation was given to man through Jesus Christ. The final revelation of God was given to man through Jesus Christ. In other words, all you need to know about God, we can know about him through Jesus Christ. The revelation of God up until the time of Christ was misunderstood. It was a mystery. It was a mystery that seemed to be hidden. Remember Old Testament, Christ concealed. New Testament, Christ revealed. So it was a mystery. It was hidden. But God now, through Jesus Christ, the ultimate message, the ultimate understanding of God, to know God is to know Christ. To know Christ is to know God. So God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. We have God's word. Reading a book called The Master Teacher by Brian C. Nixon, he writes these words, quote, Because God has spoken to us in the person of Christ and his word and is therefore an objective reality, it logically follows that truth of Christianity must be lived out as verification of our faith. In order to call myself a Christian, he continues, I need to live as a Christian. In order to have the claims of Christ in my life, I need to live the realities of Jesus Christ in my walk. You might ask, how does one accomplish these things? And when I was looking at this, how do you accomplish these things? I look again to the book of Hebrews. And I, I come to this beautiful passage, you know it well, in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And the writer says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the lives of these witnesses become an example of a life of faith. But when we look at these, we look at the greatest example of all. The greatest example of all is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He is the greatest example of all. And have I stated in the way, I, I've say, stated this many times in the past. Why would this happen? Well, I found this little ditty that I have to share with you. I have to share this with you. Why is Christ the example? Why is he the example that we need to look? And I, I come up with some things, so bear with me on this. Because he is the one who is unmoved, unchanging, undefeated, and never outdone. He was bruised that we might be healed. He was pierced to ease my pain. He died to give me life. He fought the battle against darkness to give me peace. The world cannot understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. Leaders can't ignore him. King Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. Nero couldn't crush him, and Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't excuse him or replace him. And you know what? Phil Donahue can't explain him either. He is the light. He is love. He is Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleman, gentleness. He is God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are always right. His word is always true. He is unchanging. He thinks of me. He thinks of you. He is my redeemer, my savior, my guide, and my peace. He is my joy, my comfort, and hope. I serve him because I love him, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. He gives me life, and that more abundantly. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never list me, lead me, nor will he ever forget me. When I fall, he picks me up. When I fail, he forgives me. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he shows me the way. When I'm afraid, he stands by my side. When I hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I'm confused, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. And when I have problems, he solves them. None other than Jesus Christ. This is why we look to Jesus. This is why we look to him for all our needs. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I can do nothing without him. He is the rock upon which I stand. He is my hope, my everlasting love. He is my redeemer and savior. And the word to look here doesn't mean just passing glance. It means to stare at and to study, to contemplate. It's a Greek word that is only used here in the New Testament. It's nowhere else. It means to literally look at with awe and admiration. Just to stare at Jesus as we would see the fullness of God that has been manifested in him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So he becomes the greatest example. He becomes our example that we need to look at. And he always leads by example. He always leads by example through his actions. What has he shown us? Well, first of all, he has shown us the Father. Jesus has shown us the Father. If you see me, you see the Father. I only say what the Father is saying. I only do what the Father is telling me to do. I and the Father are one. And likewise, for the Christian, any service or anything we might do must be God-centered. We, too, must have the relationship with God. Jesus showed us the example of the relationship with God. We too should have that relationship. As a Christian, I must yearn within me for a strong biblical faith and a life of devotion and love towards the Lord. A Christian's life is about the head, the heart, the mind, the soul. 
Jesus is going to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is first and foremost. Any living out part of the Christian life must begin and be focused on the love of God. Jesus is the example of this. And next, what we've been studying, and throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus being an example of selfless service motivated by that love. We said last week, we said last week that if the love vertical between you and God is not correct, the horizontal love between you and your fellow man will not be correct. You must first love God. And out of that love, you will be motivated to serve man. But it must be out of love, not guilt, not condemnation, not being bullied into, not thinking that God is going to love you any better when you do. Love motivated service, pure service by love. And that's what we've been studying in John 13, the story of the Last Supper. When supper was over, Jesus got up, got up from the table, took a garment, took off his garment, girded himself with a towel, and he proceeds to wash the feet of those disciples who were around him. Peter refuses him. Don't stoop in front of me. You never wash my feet, he says. But Jesus explains to him that not only is this cleaning necessary, it's critical and crucial. It must be done, Peter. You must allow me to do that. And as we come into today's verses... Jesus is now going to explain to the disciples exactly what he did, and us as well. He's going to explain to them that as we humbly serve others, walking in God's path to holiness, doing all we commands, there is a blessing attached to it. There is a blessing attached to it. We enjoy happiness, not a fleeting happiness like the world wants you to have, but a true happiness deep inside, a joy inexpressible, one that you know that is a byproduct of living in the will of God. And that's what the happiness we all want. So as we look to today's verses, we come to chapter 12, verse 12. And so when he had washed their feet, taken his garment and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Jesus, the master teacher, is always in teaching mode. He never misses an opportunity. Look at the contrast of his example to that as a disciples. It's a constant example to them. Are they looking at it? Are you seeing it? There's so much in this. It's a lesson of extreme importance. We need to grasp the lesson that's being taught to us through this study. So important that Jesus stopped the dinner festivities to give the disciples an example of what true service to others look like. And in in this example, I believe that Jesus has something special for us as well. Jesus wants you to see this. When Jesus had finished washing the disciples' feet, they didn't know what was going on, and he knew it. So he explains to them. He tells them what he has done. And this is typical Jesus. There were times when he made parables, or he would do a miracle. And then later, when he had the 12 all around him, he would discuss it and tell them what he did. Jesus really never kept the disciples without knowing. He never kept them without knowledge. He always explained to them what he was doing. So look at 13 and 14. You call me teacher and Lord. And you say, well, for I am so. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The Greek word used here for teacher is didaskalos, meaning instructor or master. The Greek word you hear used for Lord is kurios, meaning supreme in authority. The implication is God. He's master, he's Lord, he's God. One commentator said this, quote, Jesus recognized and encouraged the commitment of the disciples to him. He was their teacher and he was their Lord in a sense that they had no other teacher and no other Lord. What's interesting to me here is that Jesus, being God, could have worried, could have very well demanded the disciples to wash his feet. He could have very well told the disciples, hey, I'm God, you need to wash my feet. But that's not what he did, is it? He humbly served them, and then he says these words, and knowing the disciples, and probably some of us, including me, must have stung their ears. You ought to wash one another's feet. What? No, you ought to wash one another. What? Why should I? You just did. I don't have to arrest. <laughs> you can imagine the disciples looking at each other. We have to do what? Remember, this was the filthiest job in town. Washing one's feet. They wore sandals. They walked on dirt roads. Their feet were extremely dirty. And when you went into a house, the lowest of low servant would come to you with a basin and wash your feet. They couldn't believe that Jesus was telling them, you need to wash each other's feet. Obviously, they didn't know what was happening. But when they thought back, Jesus had served them in the midst of them arguing over who was the greatest. Jesus had served them in the midst of their condescending attitude towards one another. Who do you think you are? He likes me best. He served them in the midst of their bickering. He served them in the midst of their non-understanding. Even though they didn't understand, he still served them. And he served them most of all, even though most of them would deny him and one would betray him. But he still served them. He still humbled himself, girded himself with a towel, picked their foot up, and put it in the basin and washed them. Their Lord, their Master, on his hands and knees, kneeling in front of each disciple, picking up their filthy feet and washing them in the basin of water. The lesson he gave was one of humbleness. He took on the role of a servant. But never forget, never forget Jesus' motivation for doing this. Love. He did this out of pure love. Love for God first, and then flowing from that love, love for others. Serving God through loving others. Jesus had spent three years with his disciples. Three long years. And he had taught them many lessons on humility, but it was always about somebody else. It was always about somebody else. Now, Jesus was teaching them a lesson that was for them. It was geared to them. They were the ones who were willing participants in this teaching lesson. Were they finally starting to get the idea? Were they finally starting to get what he is saying? Are you getting what he is saying here? Are you starting to get the picture of what he's trying to say to you? My prayer that we do. Look at verse 15. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, some of them are probably still scratching their head. What's he mean? Do we have to go out now and start washing everybody's feet? And what happens is churches of good standing all of a sudden have foot washings. And they come out and they make a big ceremony out of it. We all bring the bucket down and we all wash each other's feet and things like that. I've been to retreats where the men washed each other's feet. I've seen that happen and there's nothing really wrong with it. But to take this and make it in some kind of a ceremony or legalistic thing is crazy. This is not what Jesus is talking about. This is not what he is talking about. So we need to clear that up at all. If you attend someplace and they decide to have a foot washing ceremony, all well and good. It's kind of cool. Weird, but cool. But Jesus is not talking about that. In essence, what is he saying? He says, look, there is no task that is beneath you. There is no task that is beneath you. Serve one another in love. Take on the attitude of a servant towards each other. Be willing to give yourself to serve another's need. Don't put yourself on pedestals. Don't place yourself higher than somebody else. Don't exalt yourself. Don't get so high and mighty that you begin to demand that people should serve you. Don't do that. That's what he's saying. I have set this example for you. I have showed you. I am your teacher. I am your master. I am your Lord. And I'm showing you the example. And if I do this for you, then you need to do this for one another. This is a powerful lesson, folks. This is a mighty lesson. It's a lesson of attitude and action. One that should, we should take note. One that we should take note. And I love what one commentator said. He said, the world will ask, how many people work for you? Jesus will ask, how many people do you work for? This is a huge thing. The example that Jesus gave to his disciple was in stark contrast to their actions. His example was service, not strife. The disciples were once again worried about who was the greatest. Jesus was an example of humility, not exaltation. This was all in humility. A great quote from Alexander McLaren. Quote, there are too many of us who profess to be quite willing to trust Jesus Christ as cleanser of our souls who are not nearly so willing to accept his example as a pattern to our lives. Unquote. Are you willing to accept this? Are you willing to accept this as a pattern of your life? Jesus continues in verse 16. He says, most assuredly, now some of you might have the text that says verily, verily. You know, it's the same thing. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Let me ask you a question. If a master becomes the slave, where does that place the slave? If the master becomes the slave, where does that place the slave? It places them on the same level. It places them on the exact same level as the master. By becoming a servant, Jesus did not put us down. Instead, he lifted us up. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.